Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to live in a free country once again. You have found your beacon and voice of freedom. This is Daniel Horowitz back in the house here. Actually, a pre-record, but you are listening to this on Tuesday, the 7th of September. For me, it's Labor Day. And man, folks, look, I'll take a holiday anytime, but what a joke. What a joke. What a, what a vacuous day when we could have just waited another less than two weeks to celebrate Constitution Day. But then again, we don't have a Constitution anymore to celebrate. There is only one Constitution. They win, we lose. But how do we celebrate the Constitution instead of Labor Day? See, labor connotes scarcity. Like, man, we're going to celebrate labor. We worship the God of abundance. They worship the idolatry of scarcity. We've said this a while back that everything to do with COVID is all about scarcity. You're breathing my air. You have to get a shot. You have to do this. You have to get that. And I was thinking what is so fascinating is that we have spent trillions of dollars. God has blessed this country with an abundance beyond belief unparalleled in human history. Look, folks, because I'm not a shill for big pharma and one of these phony conservative sellouts, I really don't earn a lot of money. Okay, believe it or not. Might shock you. My wife has to stay home with the kids. We have four kids. So, hey, yeah, I mean, I've gotten thousands of dollars funneled right into my account, the handouts from from the IRS. They pissed away tens of thousands of dollars per, per family. They, they've given out free stuff beyond belief. But the one thing they wouldn't do is give people a simple kit. A kit and instructions, hotlines with doctors, pharmacists to fill prescriptions. All generic, cheap, off-patent, effective drugs. And again, there's dozens of them. I can go on and on. And yet now, this is a fourth world country where they purposely dried it up. People cannot get ivermectin. They can't get hydroxy. They can't get tons of things. They can't get doctors to prescribe even nebulized budesonide. Even NAC. Some of the supplements are very hard to find now. And people are trapped. And the sad thing is, they're admitting they're coming to our position. Pfizer, I called this, folks. I'm sorry. I don't typically get haughty, but this time I'm just going to tell you I called the next tranche. It was lockdowns, masks, vaccines, boosters, then Pfizer and Merck's miracle drugs. Okay? They now say you're going to have to take a twice a day drug. If we have time, we'll get to that. We're going to get to our special guest, very special guest, another terrific doctor that you have to meet that is doing everything that the government won't do is prohibiting. Truly, truly righteous man. Uh, But first, today's sponsor, a lot of people really don't like their pair of glasses. They throw them in the drawer, never wear them again. But that's because they don't have better spectacles from Rodenstock. Rodenstock is the gold standard in eyeglass, uh, the eyeglass industry. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock glasses. Their expert opticians use um, a really advanced algorithm measuring from millions of patients 7,000 points in the eye for their Go Specs lenses that offer more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to help you see up to 40% better. If you go to betterspectacles.com, slash conservative. You can schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to go and wear a mask. 
and they give you terrific service. And then you get 61% off Ghostbecks lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. My wife and I love these lenses. I've never had lenses that fit better. And by the way, it was all mailed to me and they measured it online. It's truly amazing because I thought they wouldn't fit. But really, uh, those of you who see me on TV, Steve Days, One News Network, it, the, these are the Ghostbecks lenses. Again, betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Get better vision today. Now, folks, if we had someone with a vision, we would have realized from day one the answer was ivermectin. And not just ivermectin, but 50 other things. I want to update you. Remember last week we had that lawyer on, Ralph Lagora, another righteous man, literally volunteering his legal career, his law firm, to help people with patients in the hospital, on ventilators, without any options, fighting to use ivermectin. It is one of the most surreal things around. They will use remdesivir, which is an experimental drug that is damaging people's kidneys. I'm hearing more and more renal failure, by the way, which only makes sense if it's uh, traced back to uh, remdesivir. But yet they won't use an FDA-approved drug that, that is considered a wonder drug, one of the safest drugs known to mankind. So this was the case in Butler County, Ohio, if you remember. Um, a guy that was suffering from covid Julie Smith, um, her 51-year-old husband, Jeffrey, was breathing only with the aid of a ventilator earlier this month. They won a temporary injunction from a county judge, Gregory Howard, on October on August thir- uh, 23rd. If you remember that story, to honor the prescription from one of the FLCC doctors to use ivermectin. And could you imagine going through all this while the guy like, has days to live? So, um, anyway, he modified the ruling and said they have to use ivermectin unless they see life-threatening side effects. Okay, whatever. Whatever that even means. Um, and on Thursday, okay, so this was last week, Julie Smith testified that her husband's condition from COVID has improved with treatment of ivermectin as attorneys for UC Health Westchester Hospital questioned her and the doctor who wrote the prescription. Can you imagine a woman that has her husband on a ventilator and has to sit and be cross-examined in court? Um, and she's saying it's working. What do they what do they care? What, what in the world do they care? But um Ralph Lariga Larigo, he said that there has been a remarkable improvement in the past three days after the use of ivermectin as his level of dependency on the ventilator dropped from 100% to 50%. That is a big deal. That is a big, big deal. So folks, again, this is just ivermectin, just ivermectin, at the late, very late state. What, he's been on a ventilator for how many weeks already? A few weeks? Imagine if we just gave this and several other drugs to people on day one and had it on hand for everyone to access. All of these deaths are avoidable. All these hospitalizations are avoidable. Folks, there is a reason why there is greater push behind censoring ivermectin than even behind pushing masks and lockdowns. Because this is the linchpin to the entire Great Reset lie of the last 18 months. That's why they have to make up stories. I'm sure by now you've seen this, but if not, for those of us that did not see this, Zero Hedge has this covered. Rolling Stones last week published an article saying that all this this ER in Oklahoma was just full of people overdosing on ivermectin or the horse ivermectin or whatever. And we all... You know, you see these stories and they look so real. Well, turns out it was completely fabricated, as we thought. Um, you know, they, they did a hit piece on Joe Rogan because they're upset that he got cured with ivermectin. They would rather he die, of course. And again, Joe Rogan is not even a conservative. He's just more of like an out-of-the-box guy that just 
kind of exudes common sense, and that's what a lot of people like about him. But they they quoted this ER doctor, Jason Makalaya, however you pronounce his name, who claimed that, yeah, people were just, it was so backed up, they couldn't treat gunshot victims because it was so backed up with people overdosing on ivermectin. Now, like, everyone knew that didn't make sense. Um, One guy even lost, was coming close to losing his vision, he said. So that was the story that Rolling Stones published. Um, But anyway... NHS Sequoia, located in Salisaw, Oklahoma, so that hospital issued a statement disavowing this doctor's claims, and they basically said that the doctor doesn't work there, he's not affiliated with them, he's affiliated with a medical staffing group that sometimes does provide coverage for the ER, but that that particular doctor was not in the location for over two months. NHS Sequoia has not treated any patients due to complications related to taking ivermectin. This includes not treating any patients for ivermectin overdose. Um, Our hospital has not had to turn away any patients seeking emergency care. We want to reassure our community that our staff is working hard to provide quality health care on all patients. And Rolling Stones issued an obnoxious update, but not a um, retraction. So there you go. There you go. We, We always knew that it was a lie. Think about how many more panic porn lies have changed the way our society runs because of anecdotal stories that are completely fabricated. Completely fabricated. It's not like there's even a nuance. Like, oh, they're saying there's a COVID thing, but it's RSV. Just totally made up. But this is what they do. Unbelievable. Now, those of you who don't get free money that actually uh, are looking to save money because no one's going to save it for you, I recommend you use Gabby Insurance like I did to save on your auto and homeowner's insurance. Basically what Gabby is, it's a one-stop shop platform, totally free. You go online, not ballpark guesses, but they will give you verifiable quotes side-by-side and comparing a breakdown for auto and homeowners. So they use your current policy, you type it in to compare apples and apples, and they you know, go through their system of 40 of the top uh, insurance providers in the nation. And then they'll, they'll just, boom, they'll spit it out. It's not like it takes an hour and then they email you 50 times. No, I, I did it. It was so quick. Boom, I saved over $300. And that's because I had pretty good um, coverage with Geico beforehand. On average, Gabby tends to save people $961 a year on average between the two combined policies. They'll never sell your info. No annoying spam or robocalls. Put your policy to the test just like I did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Again, go to Gabby.com slash Daniel. That is G-A-B-I dot com slash Daniel. Gabby.com slash Daniel. Folks, Something interesting is going on. Very interesting. India has a very low vaccination rate. Okay? They now have 60% less coronavirus deaths than the same week last week, last year. And by the way, this time last year was extremely low in India. It was before it really hit there. So it's 60% lower than very low. And in places where they used ivermectin, it's literally, literally zero. In the U.S., it's up 39% over this time this week, last week. In Israel and Canada, in Israel, it's up 100%. In Canada, it's up 200% over this week, last week. Um, This is a guy, Yossi Gestetner, on Twitter. And they have even, even higher vaccination rate than the U.S. Gee, what do you think is going on there? Hmm, nothing to see there. But India, think about India. India, COVID is dead. Do you know something interesting? The flu has disappeared, okay? 
Do you know that in India, the flu is raging now? The flu is surging in India. And for the first time in our life, we'll probably embrace that and like, man, that's great news. Do you know what that tells us? Two important points in one. Number one, as we knew all along, the disappearance of the flu obviously has nothing to do with lockdowns and masks and everything to do with viral interference that the more COVID is spreading virulently, the more it boxes out other viruses. Not all of them, but some of them. And the flu is among them. India is one of the few places that is done with COVID. That is a great sign that they're done with COVID and the flu is back. What's India's secret sauce? Okay, this is the home of the Delta. It's from Trial Site News. The Indian government recently slashed the price of 39 imported drugs covering a range of therapeutic drugs from cancer to COVID-19 as part of the revised Indian National List of Essential Medicines. Trial site reports among the commonly used drugs prominently on the list are ivermectin, indicated for SARS-CoV-2, the virus behind COVID-19. Okay? So they have now added ivermectin as part of their essential medicines because of the amazing results that they had there. Truly amazing. Truly amazing what has been done in the nation of India. But God forbid, should we follow in their example? No, 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 no. We don't, we don't want that. Because we want people to die here. And I will say that confidently. Sadly, but that, that's, that's the truth. Now, one more story before we bring on our guest. Also from Trial Site. Pharmaceutical companies are now publicly acknowledging that a vaccine-centric strategy will not be sufficient to overcome the COVID-19 pandemic. Hmm. Gee, you think? The most recent declaration wasn't from some up-and-coming biotech seeking to monetize a novel therapy during the pandemic, nor some lightweight, but rather the chief executive officer of the world's most powerful COVID-19 vaccine producer, none other than Pfizer. That's right. Pfizer CEO Albert Burla recently tweeted, success against COVID-19 will likely require both vaccines and treatments. We're pleased to share that we started a phase 2-3 study of our oral antiviral candidate specifically designed to combat SARS-CoV-2 in non-hospitalized low-risk adults. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Hmm. They see that there is a need for this. This is the most evil scam in the world. I will tell you, Pfizer is the most evil entity to have ever ever existed. People couldn't believe that they would block life-saving things just because they're cheap. But indeed... That is exactly what has happened. Let that sink in. Folks, in addition to the scarcity of doctors who will actually treat us sanely, there's also a scarcity of patriotic lawyers as well, which is why you need to support today's sponsor for our interview with Dr. Henson, Elias, Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, ADF has been standing up for religious liberty, the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights, and America's highest courts for years. Go to adflegal.org slash CR as in conservative review to get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins. You'll see why it's so important. And certainly now when you see finally a victory in the courts on the life issue, it was really built off of years of work uh, by ADF really deserve a lot of props. And again, they don't have an endless spigot of money like the ACLU. They rely on the generosity of you folks, patriots like you. Go to adflegal.org slash CR. That's adflegal.org slash CR. Now, speaking of life-saving treatment, that's only half the equation. You need life-saving doctors. You know, you need someone to prescribe, to listen to your situation, to understand the symptoms, to know what to prescribe to the right person at the right moment. You know, we used to call it practicing medicine. It's kind of what we do with everything else. 
But somehow when it comes to a pandemic, when there's an even greater need to do that, before we have people on ventilators and therefore not even having people on ventilators, somehow we're like, no, you're not allowed to do that. And we as government will get in your way and make sure we screw you in every which way. So possibly what's even more scarce than life-saving drugs are life-saving doctors. And this has been a big problem. You know, I tell people, you know, just assume 99%, you call your PCP, he's going to tell you to drop dead. And so far, everyone I've been right on, unfortunately. And then I have to scramble to find my own doctors that I've hooked up with. Some of them you've heard on the show. Obviously, Friday's show, if you haven't heard it, last Friday um, was blockbuster, one of the best shows we've ever done with Dr. Ryan Cole. But today we have a similar brilliant doctor, but more important than brilliant, it's someone who has a heart in addition to a brain. Um, Dr. Eric Hansen is one of the physicians that I call, I have on speed dial when we have an emergency with COVID. And he has helped me personally uh, with so many people that I've referred to him and, you know, believe it or not, he's not an internist. He's not, you know, your regular family doctor that should be doing this. He is an ear, nose, and throat doctor practicing in Palestine, Texas at his clinic called Lone Star ENT, board certified in head and neck surgery and facial plastic surgery as well. And these specialties have really given him expertise in head, neck surgery, um, cancer, allergy, immunology, which is very important, obviously plastic surgery, Anything, you know, that's in that neck and above. And that includes COVID, which starts in your uh, mucosal uh, tract there in your nose. And somehow he has been the man basically carrying a good portion of East Texas on his shoulders, treating so many people for free. And we're going to get his story as well as his knowledge and advice on all things COVID. Dr. Hansen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's unbelievable the times we live in, and I always say the only good thing to come from COVID is the amazing friendships that I've been fortunate enough to forge, and and you know finding you has really been a godsend. Could you explain to me how this got off the ground? So you're a specialist. You'll deal with ENT issues, cancer, plastic surgery. Um, how in the world are you the go-to guy in your part of Texas for treating COVID? And could you describe a little bit what that looks like and what you're getting? Well, again, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my, how I got involved in this was because of the airway. And obviously, your nose and throat doctors, you know, we work in the airway. And as this was starting to become an issue, we started to see more and more people with uh, with this infection. And of course, then the masks uh, became where everybody was wearing a mask and being, uh, again, a head and neck surgeon, ear, nose and throat doctor, you know, I recognized the mask as being more of a problem uh, than than being the solution. And it's that's how I really got thrown into this, um, by just seeing patients that were having symptoms re- regarding this because of what the government deemed that we should be doing, which is, of course, wearing the mask, which, you know, we've now know after 40 plus years of, of research and random controlled trials, that is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. So, you know, my patients were coming to me complaining about all kinds of stuff, things that we would refer to as mask mouth, where they were developing nasal problems, skin around the uh, nose and mouth, and then, of course, oral issues. Um, That's how I got involved in it. You know, it's funny. I wasn't even thinking of starting there, and we have too much to cover today. But let's we may as well continue on the mask and come back to some of the treatment issues. So, um, the, the biggest thing I've seen on the mask issue is that the proponents of masks basically won the day by positing the following argument, and they're like, "It can't hurt. It's so painless. You just put the the you know, as we say in Yiddish, the shmata on your face." And you're good to go. It might work. It might not. Even if it works a little, it's great to do. Even if it saves one life. Mind you, you can't use ivermectin if it saves millions of lives. But it might save a life. There's no harm. Could you, I mean, this is your bread and butter. Could you work from the bottom 
and describe both from a side effect standpoint, but also I want you to then go on to a COVID standpoint, how it can make it worse. Sure. Uh, And again, this is how I got involved in it. Masks, um, as a surgeon, we wear a mask in surgery not to protect the patient, but rather to protect us from getting, you know, blood in our mouth, etc. Masks, you know, they do more harm than anything, and they can adversely uh, affect your respiratory and physiology function by lowering your uh, lowering your oxygen and increasing CO2, which then can lead to all kinds of issues with balance, uh, dizziness. Uh, then, of course, you have to worry about um, reseeding the nasal cavity and or the nasal pharynx as the individual's breathing in and out. They're breathing bacteria, fungus, and viruses, which then can come back in, and then they can then increase the viral load, which is the biggest issue with this. Um, you can also have a problem as far as depending on the mask that they're using, be it cloth or be it uh, a surgical mask. Surgical mask has a plastic uh, filter, uh, polypropylene, and if that thing starts um, uh, wearing, you'll get these little particles of plastic that potentially will be breathed into the lungs, and there's a condition called flock lung. And over a period of time, if you develop enough of that, you will then develop uh, uh, lung cancer. So you have to worry about that. Um, the other you know, complaint about this is if you're constantly breathing in and out, you're getting this bacteria down into the, the lung area, you have to worry about potentially affecting um, bacteria, fungus, and virus within the um, lungs, which then can either reawaken cancer or actually lead to cancer, which, un- which unfortunately I- I'm afraid we're going to start seeing fairly quickly. Um, with you know with what's been going on for the last year and a half, the other problem with lowering CO excuse me uh, increasing CO2 and lowering uh, oxygen is that you affect your immune system and in particular the CD4 plus but the T lymphocytes. This is the very thing that fight viruses. So by virtue of having a hypoxic environment which is low oxygen, hypercapnia which is high CO2, you actually can cause that to not work correctly or lower one's ability to fight the infection. So we're actually doing the opposite of what we should be doing. Um, it's, it's remarkable that this has gotten so out of hand. Like I said previously, we have roughly 40-plus years of science that, that absolutely back all this up. And, you know, I know they were masking kids in school. That was, in my opinion, um, child abuse. Um, the transmission of, uh, of this uh, infection uh, to anybody else, uh, be it teachers, is ridiculous. Uh, child-to-child rate was 0.3%. Child-to-staff rate was 1%. Uh, staff to child was 1.4, and then staff to staff was 4.4. So as you can tell, it, it doesn't do anything. It's, it's a complete waste of time. If you're not covering your eyes, that's mucous membranes. The virus can get, get into you that way too. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, and then it goes through the pores around them. Um, the virons are much smaller. Sure. And that we've yep. we've talked about ad nauseum, and I think our audience is fully aware of that. But, but you, you've brought up a lot of very disturbing points about – you know, it's not a harmless uh, experiment, social experiment, so to speak. Uh, one of the points you made that I think rings true now, I think all of us, and I know we've talked about this, uh, Dr. Cole mentioned this on the show on Friday, viral load is the biggest concern now. It appears that there is a greater viral load to begin with. Um, there are There is a lot of evidence to suggest that the Merrick's disease, chicken kind of leaky vaccine syndrome, is causing... Uh, vaccinated people to walk around with a higher viral load than before, uh, per the Oxford study of the Vietnamese healthcare workers. So the last thing you want to do is, if you think you might have been exposed and you might be in that viral phase right now, is to uh, grow that viral load. So you're saying if someone's in the early stages, you know, maybe even incubation, they might not know it, and they're walking around for long periods of time wearing a mask you're saying that's going to grow the viral load. Could you explain the mechanics of that? Sure. As you're, if you're exposed to a virus, you're going to have a certain amount of virus into the nasal cavity, the nasal pharynx, oral pharynx. 
the the oral cavity in the nose is not only an import but it's an export system. If you block that and you continually rebreathe, you're going to continually breathe in the virus. Now some will escape, but in my opinion, the most of it will not. You'll keep rebreathing it. The virus will then increase. It will con- continue to increase into the oral uh, in the nasal cavity, in particular, uh, potentially into what's called the olfactory cleft, which is where our smell nerves come down. What happens is the virus is then increases, and thus we have now an individual that has markedly more viruses, which then that's what does everybody in is is the load. The other problem in that area is that now the um, uh, the olfactory nerves pierce the um, the uh, nose uh, through what's called a cribriform plate. Now the virus has basically a super highway to the brain. And Dr. Blaylock brought this up real nice in a, in a write-up that he he had done about a year or so ago. But that is a major concern, and that's the problem. And you bring up another really important point is viral load. The other thing that I'm seeing um, in my practice, and I'm sure else are, is that because of this particular virus, you have something called a furon cleavage site, which fits very nice into uh, the ACE2 receptor. One of the problems that we have in America, uh, and I think it is truly not a pandemic but an epidemic, is obesity. Uh, the more adipocytes, uh, which is a fat cell, the more uh, ACE2 receptors you have. That's why you're seeing people that are overweight have such a problem and are having the worst outcomes is because they have an increase in ACE2 receptors, thus a lot of areas for this virus to then uh, bind to, and you have an increase in uh, viral load, leading to a very mm. bad outcome. So, So you're saying it's not even so much that their respiratory system has a harder time dealing with the virus than than a non-obese person, but that their obesity causes them to get a greater viral load, which then will spawn a greater inflammatory reaction. And, you know, it's just a vicious cycle there. Um, so, you know, someone who, who constantly wears a mask, so you're saying it's actually worse if you have the virus, then you really don't want to be wearing it. <laughs> You seriously do not want to wear it. I know a lot of people claim that. I have a lot of my cancer patients that I've either diagnosed, operated on, or following, and they come in with their masks on, and I have to sit down with them. I show them the literature. I show them what, again, the gold standard, which is random controlled trials, and how important it is not to have that on. Uh, my other concern of, that I'm sure you've talked to Dr. Cole about is what this virus potentially can shut down as far as our natural killer cells. So very concerned about where this is going and what, what we're going to see in the very near future on that. The other thing that you have to realize is with obesity patients, I have something called metabolic syndrome, which I'm sure that you've talked about on your show, or and I know you and I have touched on it previously, but these patients are usually have high blood pressure, they're obese, they have diabetes, they have just a whole collection of, sin, of, of medical problems. Again, another reason why these patients do very poorly, and if you look statistically, Americans for the most part are grossly overweight. No, exactly. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to take a look at Asia and, and be like, man, you know, <laughs> that's what, at least one of the culprits between the dichotomy in deaths and cases. Cases are very high in Far East Asia now. They really are getting a lot of it, but still very few people are dying um, relative to here where we just people are dropping like anything. Um, so just to close the discussion on the masks, you know, obviously we see people in masks, um, you know, those of us that are fortunate like myself to never have been roped into this, I, you know, so the worst came to worst. I had to go one place for a few minutes and that's it. But for people that have to work eight, 10 hour shifts in it for, for school children that were doing it all year and now into a second year, have you, what, what have you seen in your practice as an ENT? What sort of side effects and what sort of long-term effects? Uh, and you, I know you touched on a little bit of you, but if you can elaborate in the coming months, what do you expect to see? Well, what we've been seeing, and I think it's only going to increase, what what I've personally been seeing is a syndrome that we've kind of coined called chronic masking syndrome, where you'll get these individuals that will come in with acute respiratory disease that we didn't otherwise see, increase in their allergies, increase in uh, sinusitis, increase in cellulitis in the mid-face around the nose and the mouth, from the wearing of these masks. What's concerning is is that I'm seeing more and more of this, but I'm seeing more and more increase in 
the severity of these symptoms. I'm seeing an increase in individuals who said, yeah, I have seasonal allergies, but now they're all the time. Uh, and then, of course, then I worry about the long-term consequences from people wearing masks, not being seen by physicians. This is where I think this is going to go. And I, you know, we've touched upon this as far as mask causing or leading to or contributing to cancer kind of diagnoses. And you're going to see that. You're going to see more and more. Cancer loves to grow in a, in a non-oxygen or low-oxygen environment. Um, and by doing that, you're going to see an increase in cancer. What I've seen in my practice right now, not only that, but I've also seen an increase in people who should have been seen a year, year and a half ago, but were scared to death to come into their doctors. Now I'm seeing very advanced tumors, which is very concerning because now we're at the point where they're not operable. Um, the same thing with hospitals saying you can't do elective surgeries. Well, there are plenty of cases I can tell you where I've taken a patient to surgery. It was non, it was not technically a life-threatening. It was, uh, you know, an elective surgery that turned out, it turned out that the individual had cancer. Um, and, you know, we've saved their lives. This is, these are the unintended consequences of people that don't practice medicine making rules and policies that they have no idea what they're doing. Wow, we're 15 minutes in and I didn't even get to what I wanted to talk about. And you're already showing all the damage from the other policies again. And, and, and it just it comes full circle over 18 months. The lockdowns, the shutdown of of the so-called elective surgeries, the masking, um, the lowering of our immune system. And again, I always thought of it like a tailpipe. I mean, God created our our. Uh, uh, respiratory system in a way for a reason, and it clearly wasn't meant to be covered, and it's kind of like covering a tailpipe. A hundred percent, I do use that analogy in here. We sneeze and cough for a reason. Our body doesn't like something. It's trying to get rid of it. Rarely do I try to shut any of that down unless it's, unless it, let's say, a dry cough. Then I'll deal with that. But if we're coughing stuff up, I want them to get that out of there. Mm. Your body's trying to get rid of something it doesn't like. Uh, and why we do that. And, of course, you have the – one thing I want to touch on real quick, and then you can jump, is the um, social distancing of six feet. It, this is an aerosolized virus. The true distance, if you look at aerosolized viruses, is 30 meters. That's <laughs> 97 and a half feet. I don't know where they got that, that six feet from. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This stuff is so light. The, the, the 0.1 yeah. microns. Um, it, it could sus- exactly. it, it could stay suspended. Point one, I, I forgot it. it it's hours, so even days. They could be suspended for um, and float. Um, they don't go to the ground. The stuff you see, someone spits and it goes to the ground. Well, that's heavy. Yeah. That's gravity. It goes to the ground. It ain't going in your mouth. Um, that's that's not what. Yeah, I mean that's pretty obvious. The only time that ever happened to me was when I hold the baby on my hip. You know, so then, yeah, if she sneezes on you, yeah, then it will go in your mouth. But otherwise, most people don't talk in your mouth. That's not what, you know, that, that's what people view masks for. But it's, no, it's the virons. And, yeah, I mean, this this stuff was ridiculous. I want to move on to, to treatment. Um, sure. So could you describe what your office looks like, what you're seeing now? Um, and my understanding is you're doing this largely for free. Yeah, it, it, as far as in our practice, and I am one of the uh, frontline doctors, and I kind of modified it a little bit where I see the patients and or I will do a tele, uh, telemedicine. Um, we then keep a, a running log, just like a chart, on these patients. Um, we get all the necessary data, their, you know, their history, you know, their past medical history, everything, and then we um, get their vitals as, if we can. Um, I do see them in the office. I know some people don't want their, these patients in their office, but as a physician, I, I see sick people for a living. Um, if you still look at the statistics, the number one way of not transmitting this is actually by washing your hands. Unfortunately, the most washed organ, in, the most organ now in the human body that I've discovered is one's brain. So I'm not sure, you know, <laughs> you know where we're going with this. But I will, I will see these patients if I can get them to come in. They'll get a full head and neck exam. Uh, and then, you know, we'll then decide whether or not what the treatment is. I'm a big proponent of um, supplements. I think supplements have a huge role in this. And I've, I've spoke to Dr. Ryan Cole about this at length. I've even spoken with Dr. Peter McCullough about this, who has kind of, the, you know, started the, um, you know, the early treatment uh, like along the with several other physicians. 
Pardon me? He's like the Pope, the early treatment Pope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're one of the cardinals. Um, so, and that's what it is. And we don't even have uh, enough. Uh, we we have there's there's more cardinals than, than doctors that I know treating this. But so, could you describe? So, typically, someone has a family physician, internist, whatever you want to call them, and they call them up and say, "Hey, I got COVID." They're like, um, "Did you get the shot?" And if it's no, well, then you deserve to die. And and if it's yes, well, maybe you don't deserve to die, but you probably will because I'm not going to treat you anyway. Okay. But then they come to you, and they're not even your patient, and they show up at your office. Could you describe some of that, what you've seen show up at your office? Sure. I've had several patients show up that were discharged from the emergency room or clinics and said, well, okay, um, you've got this, you've got that. I understand that, you know, Dr. Henson is seeing these patients, and I've literally had them show up before clinic. Uh, Obviously, they're very scared. Um, It's a lot of elderly patients that are being seen. Uh, I've had some show up on four liters of oxygen with, you know, oxygen saturation at 78%. Um, and how did so someone walk around doing, with 78% blood oxygen? It, well, she was, she was having a tough time mm. and, you know, her and her husband were both, you know, infected. They were, they both tested positive, uh, via the RC PCR test. And so, you know, we did an exam, we got her oxygen up on, I believe we brought her up to six to eight liters, got her up over 80, or excuse me, over 90%. I was, you know, was very ner- I was very cautious with her, and I told her because I was so late in the game with her that we still might have to, um, if we can't get her turned around, then we're going to have to get her in, you know, into the hospital. Uh, but, you know, she ended up doing very well, uh, as did her husband, as did everybody else. But we get them on a whole list of supplementations that include aspirin, um, uh, vitamin C, zinc, magnesium, uh, N-acetyl-L-cysteine that everybody knows as NAC. Um, and then we also, some people will use quercetin, which is, which is what I do. Uh, some people will use uh, black seed oil um, or black cumin is another way. And then, of course, some people are using elderberry. Um, mm. And I have certain dosages that I do. I go over, I think, even more, uh, I, I give higher doses even more so than the FLCCC uh, recommend. Higher mostly doses because of, what? of my experience. Of, of the supplements or of uh, uh, higher doses no, of, of the, the supplements? Supplements, not, of, not of supplements. ivermectin, I'm assuming. No, 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 no. We calculate uh, on the prescription medication, I'm very specific on mm. how I. Um, of how I treat that, we calculate the dose based on what we've seen um, and what the uh, what all these you know the other doctors and everybody has discovered, which is the best way of treating this. And so it, it's actually um, we've actually got a pretty good protocol that all the physicians out there have have basically come up with, and um, you know it, it's working. I mean we're keeping pretty much everybody out of the hospital. I've only had to date one patient that actually had to go to the hospital. Um, and and receive um, you know receive treatment. The other ones uh, we've kept everybody out of the hospital, and it's been great. I mean, you know, these patients are doing wonderful on the therapy. And again, I want our listeners to know that includes people that clearly did not come to you on day one of symptoms. If you're telling me, you know, 78 blood oxygen and four liters of uh, of uh, portable oxygen there, so you know, you've had some pr- people pretty pretty late in the game. And you are still able to turn around. Um, what could you describe for our audience a little bit? Uh, you're in Texas. Texas is really kind of where Florida was a few weeks ago. Very hot. Um, everyone I know there has gotten COVID. Um, pretty much the entire state, anywhere in the state. What is the situation with ivermectin? And could you describe some of the chaos? Are you able to get it to people? Are there enough pharmacies, um, both willing and just able to dispense? Because you know the, the the shortage now. And do you have to, uh, you know, make an end run around the protocol and try to come up with other things? Yeah, and you're right. We are having trouble here, at least in East Texas where I'm at. Uh, I'm having trouble even with, um, you know, local pharmacies, um, you know, the Ma and Pa kind of pharmacies where um, they were doing, they were great. They were prescribing the medication. Um, and then just as a couple of days ago, I was called by uh, the pharmacist and saying we can no longer 
do this because, A, we can't get it, and B, the insurance companies are no longer paying for it, so now we have to pay them back. And they're going strictly on what the FDA is uh, mm. claiming that is not indicated for this. But you know, we write medications all the time uh, you know, for things that are off-label. Um, I think Dr. Ryan Cole has a great analogy, even though that, you know, we may use water to drink, but we use it for other things like <laughs> washing our car, swimming in, et cetera. I mean, it was just a great analogy. And it really is. I mean, this medicine won the Nobel Peace Prize, I believe, in 2015. You are so wrong. Water is for cars. What? Uh, hey, y'all, yeah, stop drinking that stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's just <laughs> yeah, the stupidity it. of it. Well, exactly. It's gotten, you know, the messaging has gotten so screwed up. So I've had difficulty trying to get it. It went from about a 30 cents a day medicine. Uh, my uh, One of my last patients called me and said it was $600 for a 10-day course. Wow. Now, they were fortunate enough to be able to afford it, but yes. um, it's gotten, it's yeah, gotten now expensive. I'm having harder and harder and, and And I want our audience to know, just I want to interject here, important piece of information um, it's hard, and I, I don't. There is no silver bullet at this point, um, which is why it probably is worth getting trying to get hydroxy. But one thing to know, if you could get a hold of it, and you're worried about the cost, and it's such a shame because the government could have. I mean, they could have ramped this up for. They should have made it free for all the free stupid stuff they handed out, and free money, and free child tax credits, and free rent, and free food, and free everything. They should have had free ivermectin, but it would have been very cheap. Now, unfortunately, you know, supply and demand. But still, go to GoodRx, um, and whatever it is at the given moment, it will be discounted. I mean, I'm looking now on my GoodRx. I can get. Um, about it's about thirty five dollars, um, but you know I think as you you just mentioned that's twenty tablets, uh, for about thirty five dollars. But again, if it's a husband and a wife, and especially if they're bigger and you want a ten day course, yeah, I mean you're gonna it's gonna be in a few it's gonna be in the hundreds. But you know, good RX could get you down fifty percent or so. So you definitely want to check that out. Um, is there any I, other? I'm super yeah. glad. I'm super glad you mentioned that because that is something that we've been telling everybody to get is go to GoodRx, uh, you know, load the load the the app and then you know hit search in their area. Um, we do have another pharmacy that I use here in Texas is willing to, you know, get the medication, but you know they're running out of it too. And I've talked to some other physicians who are somewhat in the know, and they're saying they're having a hard time even getting it into the country which is most disturbing. But if you look at elsewhere in the world where this medicine was given out, um, in some of the third world countries, you don't have quite the infection rate that we do um, because they've been taking this along with hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. And, and again, when I can't find ivermectin, I have been prescribing hydroxychloroquine uh, uh, Are you seeing this. other... What other emerging things are you seeing that are potentially promising that you've been dabbling with, experimenting with? Are you seeing anything else that might be a replacement or even better than ivermectin or at least, you know, a supplement? Well, some of the stuff that's now coming out, um, you'll see the antigen blockers are starting to to make their way uh, into things like you and I've talked about um, previously. Um, the supplements that we've talked about, black seed, uh, uh, oil is is one of these supplements that, um, if you look at the mechanism of action, it actually prevents the virus from binding to the ACE2 receptor, which is wonderful. I mean, that's exactly you what know, does what that look want. like, a, just commercially? How is that packaged, black seed? Uh, it's a supplement. You can either get it as an oil, a seed, or you can get it in a in a ta uh, in a capsule. So you can actually get it. At, it's an over the counter uh, supplement. And what sort of elderberry? I see a lot of different products out there. Yeah, elderberry is another one of these things. It works with your immune response. Now, there are some articles out there that say, well, it could increase your cytokines or your mm. cytokine storm. If you read the literature, it actually doesn't do that. It actually modulates it. And I would encourage anybody that's listening to this to go ahead and look it up. You'll see a lot of elderberry used for colds, which obviously a coronavirus is a cold virus, as is a rhinovirus. And you can see why people take it. Now, they also mention in these studies where it doesn't 
it doesn't necessarily make you not get the infection. It just lessens your symptoms. Um, I personally take it, um, uh, and it works. I mean, along with all these other supplements, you know, the D3s, the zincs, the vitamin Cs, you know, the quercetin, magnesium. Magnesium is a very important, um, uh, very important supplement, and I would encourage anybody uh, to make sure they, you know, they take that or at least get uh, get some information on it. It's pretty much used in about 80% of all of our biochemical um, uh, functions in our body. Wow, you know, so that's that's the thing. Yeah, you can't forget about that. Um, we're running out of time here, but there's still a couple things I want to get to on the treatment level. So, you know, I've I've had uh, you know, we we had one uh, patient. You were so kind enough to treat a friend of mine, and we found that the inhaled budesonide right away brought up that blood oxygen level, seemed to alleviate that you know budding pulmonary inflammation. So it's important that people try to get a hold of a nebulizer. Um, could you describe the budesonide a little bit? But also, I, I'm getting a lot of emails from people. Because a lot of people are writing stuff on the internet, some good, some maybe not, and I want to sort this out. Are there other options? Again, if someone has a, you know, for lack of a better term, a jerky doctor um, that doesn't believe in prescribing for COVID and they can't get the budesonide, which is prescription, are there other things over the counter they could put in that nebulizer? You know, that's a good question. All I've been using personally, I've been using only the uh, budesonide or the steroids. Uh, what I have used over the counter quite a bit is budesonide nasal. And the reason I use that is because how it, you know, it's a steroid and it's actually done wonders in the uh, nasal cavity and the nasal pharynx by decreasing the inflammation and subsequently the body's response uh, to, this, uh, to this particular um, uh, virus. The other thing, I don't know if we've mentioned it, I don't believe we have, is phenofembrite, which is a, a cholesterol-lowering medicine. Yep. Uh, which is another one of those uh, medicines that does not allow the virus to bind to the ACE2 receptors and thus decreasing your viral load. Sure. No, I mean, and that's something all our doctors seem to be. It's funny. Each of you have your own little shade, but I think phenofibrite is, is, is one that everyone uh, agrees seems to, to work. Um, my, my opinion, and, and I know Dr. Corey is in agreement with me, because um, that they're already pushing it and they're using it straight out of the gate, even um, even as a first line defense outpatient, uh, dutasteride um, and some of the androgen blockers, as you mentioned. Because my idea, not that I'm <laughs> someone who has enough experience to talk about the mechanisms, but just from a political standpoint, if they're drying up ivermectin, dutasteride, it's kind of hard to go after acne and hair loss. Like, you don't want to, politically, they're not going to screw with people over that. And it's so, I looked on GoodRx, it's 10 bucks. It's, it's cheap. Yeah, all these medicines are, yeah, yeah. It's cheap, it's common, and it's used very, you know, it's so you know, people don't typically complain about side effects who use that. I know people use that all the time. So I would imagine you can get around the, <laughs> you know, the prohibition era blockade on COVID treatment. That might be a good thing for doctors to start doing. Well, that's one of the reasons, like, uh, as far as antibiotics, I've got patients that their physicians will not prescribe them Zithromax because they flat out tell them, they said, well, unless you're admitted to the hospital, we're not going to give you any medication, which I, 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 at first I thought they were kidding, but I've heard it countless times. Um, I've got some pharmacies that won't prescribe it and say, no, we're not going to do that. So we've been kind of sneaking around using Biaxin, which is you know similar, or we're using doxycycline. Um, I had one pharmacy um, uh, in another state where the director of the pharmacy said, I will not give ivermectin. We're going to save it for the parasites. Mm. Well, that's not their job. That's practicing medicine without a license. And I kindly, you know, I said, either you give it to them or I'm going to you know, turn you in for practicing medicine. And But that's what we're up against. It's It's absolutely insane. The other thing I think that I know that a lot of people don't realize they, that they should be doing is in the gut microbiome, the bacteria in your stomach. One of the things this virus does, as also the uh, the vaccine, um, is that it destroys the microbiome in the stomach, which is exceedingly important for our immune system. 
And again, I would encourage people to get get using um, probiotics and also prebiotics. Um, these things will keep your, your GI system, your gut healthy, which will also help your immune system stay strong. Very important. And I believe um, doc, is it Dr. Sabine is going to be coming out with something regarding this. Uh, Dr. Sabine Hassan is going to be coming out mm. something where she's noticed that some of the bacteria have... Um, been depleted because of not only the vaccine, but also because of the virus. So could I presume that it's a good thing to eat a lot of yogurt at this point? Yeah, exactly. Yogurt, of course, I would always encourage everybody to eat yogurt without any sugar or you know, any fruit in it. Um, a kefir milk is wonderful. Acidophilus, acidophilus tablets, uh, kimchi, uh, kombucha tea. Uh, these are all wonderful live foods, live cultures. Uh, myself and my wife, uh, at one point we were making kombucha. Um, <laughs> and, but we, we take all of this. And uh, I pretty much eat kimchi every day now. Um, but it's it's super good for your for your GI system, which your stomach, which your microbiome, which keeps your uh, keeps your immune system strong. There's a wonderful book written by David Perlmutter out of Florida uh, uh, called Brain Maker, and I would encourage people to read that book. It is an absolute wonderful book. Yeah, and at some point we're gonna have to do just another time, just a whole you know personal health show. You have a lot of good advice on that. But I do want to just close with, again, some of the pertinent uh, things to COVID, and especially as with your expertise in the nasal tract. I really want to get it from the horse's mouth. You know, we're talking about horses a lot now because, you know, obviously uh, <laughs> medicines that work yeah, no can only be— intended. Yeah, medicines that work can only be used for horses, of course. But <laughs> you are the man. You are an ENT. And I want to get you to tell our audience the importance of the nasal irrigation. When I heard Ryan Cole tell me this, he was like, yeah, you know, I was swabbing people for COVID left and right, and I was all around it, and I never had a problem with COVID. He always said he would do the mouth and nasal rinses. And at the time, it kind of seemed like primitive to me. It was like, oh, the, the, the big, scary COVID, like, there's no way that could work, something that that bizarre. Um is it really what it's advertised? Is one study saying 19-fold decrease in hospitalizations for people that you know regularly did the nasal irrigation? 100%. Uh, not only with just saline nasal irrigations, which the turn of the last century, the number one treatment for allergy and sinus disease was saline nasal irrigations. I encourage all my patients, both before surgery or after surgery is that we have nasally irrigate every hour. Um, I also am a big fan of, and I think Dr. Cole also talks about this as far as using uh, betadine. Obviously, it has to be diluted, uh, but also um, I also talk to my patients about using hydrogen peroxide, again, when it's diluted out. Um, we did that in my residency where we would wash out the nasal pharynx and the nasal cavity with hydrogen peroxide. It pretty much takes out everything, kills everything. Well, what what percentage decrease. would that be? As far as the to, to dilute, so, so I mean, the FLCC recommends one percent betadine. So you take the ten percent from the store, nine parts saline, one part betadine. How would you do the um, hydro? Well, on the peroxide, what we were doing on the peroxide is anywhere from I, I tell them between five and ten percent um, um, strength as far as on the uh, peroxide. And that's for the and nose and mouth. Well, you're going to get some of the nasal pharynx by virtue of the irrigation. Um, if somebody wants to do it in the mouth, I tell them to dilute it out because you will, straight up peroxide, you'll get a lot of blistering and irritation, yeah. not only to the uh, the alveolar or the gums, but also to the uh, the mucosa. It'll work, but it'll just end up causing more more trouble. And I have seen some people that uh, thought more was better, and I would see them in the office with all kinds <laughs> of, you know, problems in their, you know, the um, respiratory mucosa, and I know right away what they've been doing. And it's just a matter of talking to them and just giving them the right, the right um, uh, dose. So but wonderful so, stuff. So Absolutely rather than, than wearing a mask, which will actually be counterproductive, you're saying, you know, let's say you're scared. You're scared of getting COVID. You're around the crowd. Gosh, was I exposed? Not. Go home and do this nasal irrigation, the mouthwash, um, 
the other question I'm asked from people a lot is, again, going back to the nebulizer, more when you have COVID, you're worried about the pulmonary inflammation. Obviously, you prescribe the budesonide, but there's people that have written literature on putting iodine or hydro, uh, hydrogen peroxide in the nebulizer. Is that a good practice? Again, this depends on the individual, but yes, you can get, especially the iodine, you'll see some wonderful stuff or, or literature on this. Um, as far as the percentage of the hydrogen peroxide, I do not know as far as in the pulmonary. Mm-hmm. That's a little out of my area of expertise, sure. so I tend to stay away from that. Um, so, I, you know, I would refer somebody to, you know, a pulmonologist for that who is actually willing to treat, you know, these patients. Uh, but, yes, the, the same, the mucosa or the tissue in your lungs is the same tissue in our nasal and oral pharynx and nasal pharynx. It's still respiratory mucosa. It's the same thing. If you either kill or decrease the load of any pathogen, then you're going to, the patient will get better quicker. The immune system will not be overrun. And that's the big thing. You know, it's always, you know, are you going to put these patients into a cytokine storm? You know, is the immune system going to overreact? And that's why I think the budesonide is so good. It's a steroid. It, it really kind of tempers the immune system and lets people breathe much easier, decreasing inflammation. It's just wonderful. I, my patients do fantastic. They can't wait to get to that four hours as far as their, their budesonide uh, nebulizers. They do fantastic with it. Yep. I've, that, that's what I've heard from the people that it literally got their blood oxygen levels up it is criminal that this is not being done outpatient as early as possible no. very specific yeah, yeah. very specific question why... dr henson just just to i mean yeah let's close the circle on this issue um i know that generally speaking doctors don't want to prescribe let's say prednisone um, before they think they have to because it suppresses the immune system, which you need to to prevent the inflammatory response. But before you're there, you don't want to suppress the immune system because you want to see if it can fight it off on its own. But what about the budesonide that's applied topically through a nebulizer? Is that something you also don't want to do from day one? You want to wait a little bit? No. I, for the, the way that I look at the uh, budesonide is more of a local response. Same thing in the nose. It's a local response. Mm. You're, getting, you're getting a much lower dose. It is not systemic. I don't use um, high-dose steroids until about day seven or eight, and that's what both the FLCCC and also the frontline doctors are, that we've all recommended at that point. Now, I have gone down and given people on day five the you know 50 milligrams uh, per day of prednisone, but that's a systemic uh, approach where you're going to get a much higher and you are going to shut down or at least blunt their immune response. We do want their immune system functional. We want it chasing after these things, but the topical stuff and what's happening, you know, with the budesonide is just wonderful. No, absolutely, but uh, but also the prednisone that, you know, obviously that you don't want to do out of the gate, but unfortunately now with the uh, Pfizer variant of the uh, higher viral mm-hmm. load, yeah, we are seeing people outpatient get very quickly into the inflammatory response. So again, it's criminal for a doctor not to prescribe prednisone when that is deemed necessary, because then you're just setting them up for disaster. You know, when they're already with the dropping blood oxygen levels, I, I, I cannot, I shudder to think a doctor <clears throat> would feel the call from a patient and say, you know, my my blood oxygen level is dropping, and and he has nothing for him, nothing for him. Yeah, and again, I've a lot of people found out about our practice, and they're starting to you know show up more and more, and and again, you know, some of your contacts and stuff, and and same in Florida, which is where I used to practice. I've got a lot of folks down there that have just done wonderful. Um, but they're hearing this, I'm hearing the same thing down there that nobody will treat anything, and, and so they're seeking us out, which is, which is great that there's a you know that we're out there that we're you know keeping these people from getting into the you know the hospital, which is you know that's a problem. So just to close for today's show, I want to go back to the mask issue. Um, I'd mm-hmm. be remiss if we didn't go over this. So you were possibly the first doctor to get brought before a board for not wearing a mask. Now, you live not where I am in Maryland. This is the red state of Texas. Um, Could you describe what happened and your experience with the board? 
Sure, and it's still ongoing, so I can only you know talk so much. Uh, the the governor of Texas had passed a mandate uh, in 2020, uh, I believe it started in May, and it was through, uh, I believe, October of 2020. Um, and they, um, the uh, Texas Medical Board followed suit and came up with their version of they had a very specific rule that if you're, you know, in the healthcare and you're taking care of people that you have to mask and so does your patient. Um, you know, my background in ear, nose, and throat and head and neck surgery, uh, in my opinion, and the literature supports us, that this is causing harm. And all physicians have, you know, done the same thing as far as Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. And knowing that this was going to be an issue, I did not wear a mask, nor did I require the patients to wear a mask. I did have a couple of patients um, who did um, you know, report the office and myself in particular, and subsequently I was uh, brought before the board, and that's kind of where we're at right now. So, but it, it's it's not going to change the way that yeah. I'm still going to treat my patients. Um, like I tell my patients, I work for them, um, and I'm here for them. So I will, you know, I will deal with that, and um, I will continue to support my patients. What I believe is the correct way. Uh, and the safest way, and the literature supports it. Well, a doctor following science, that has become illegal now, but you are undaunted. Oh, man, we could go on and on, but Dr. Hansen, we're out of time. This has been so engaging. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to get a lot of questions, so folks, if, if you would like to email me, if you have a question for Dr. Hansen, let me know and I'll, I'll try to discuss it with him and get back to you, discuss this more. Um, thanks so much, Dr. Hansen, for joining us. And folks, I will be out tomorrow. We'll be back Thursday, Friday, the end of the week. So fret not, but I'm taking a little break here. God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.